amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Thursday, June the 23rd, 2016. And our call-in number is 646 Two hundred four one six nine. Press one, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. We would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you to your heart. Good afternoon, everyone. At least everyone who's in the afternoon part of the world dealing with that fiction called time. And welcome. We're honored that you're here to join us. Look into this wondrous topic of self-healing, of of the internal process of healing that was most profoundly understood in the world 2,000 years ago, at least as far as I can tell. I haven't found anybody who's even come close to his level of understanding by this man named Yeshua, popularly known as Jesus, but his name was not Jesus, it was Yeshua. A physicist, a physiologist, a psychologist, a geneticist, certainly anything but a theologian. A man who understood exactly how the world worked, exactly how the mind worked, and taught people how to become free of the enslavement of their minds. There's a post I put on Facebook every once in a while. It's probably time for me to put it up again. It's a a little video where a dog goes to the door and wants out and there's a screen door or at least what used to be a glass storm door I should say but the glass has been removed so the door is wide open but the dog even when his master steps out through the glass to show that there's no glass or where the glass used to be steps out through the open door the dog will not it's learned there's a limitation it's learned that that door has to be open for me to go out. And even though it's demonstrated that that's no longer true, people live and function as though something is true that isn't. And 
when we live as though something's true that isn't, we carry on for decades self-inflicting pain and trauma over something that is not even present anymore, except as a memory and tissue. And so Yeshua provided this absolutely awesome tool that if you understand how to use it and you actually use it, will remove those energetic patterns from tissue. It's the whole idea of the forgiveness process. So forgiveness means removal. It doesn't mean letting somebody else off the hook. And it's interesting that the mind, once it's structured with a belief, when that belief is triggered into, or an experience, is triggered into activity, if one has no awareness, then the mind constructs a reality, literally, oftentimes, an actual picture. We've talked several times about the CIA research on perception, and that they, after spending who knows how many millions, maybe more than millions, on studying perception, come to the conclusion that we do not record reality the mind generates its reality. And once you brainwash a mind, once you program a mind into a certain way of seeing, like the dog, whenever that energy is presented, though it is no longer there, you know, like the glass, is no longer there. The dog goes, you know, finally when the master opens the uh, storm door, the dog goes out runs around, does whatever it's going to do, comes back and stands at the door, even though there's no glass in the door, and waits for the, uh, the owner to open the, uh, the door that isn't there, in essence. And so many people live their whole lives re-inflicting pain and trauma on themselves because they do not have or will not use that tool of forgiveness. And I think oftentimes that tool of forgiveness is not used because there are corollary benefits. There are side benefits. People get attention. They get to, get to be the center of the room. There are all kinds of things that happen when we replay those things. And the whole idea that Yeshua brought forward of forgiveness was to be able to, in understanding the mind, remove those things. Now, in the Aramaic language, the word forgive is shabag or shabak, which means it's literally been translated as forgive, but it means to cancel. And sometimes people errantly apply the idea of canceling. You'll oftentimes hear me when I'm describing a situation. I will, once I express a certain idea that I'm really not interested in empowering as a creative energy in my life, I'll use the word, words, cancel that. So an idea passing through my mind, if it's something that I want to express but I'm not interested in creating around, I will cancel it. I'm, I'm giving a message to that creative power within me that this isn't something that I'm interested in creating. But there's oftentimes the misuse of canceling, and that is that people will because they don't understand the mechanism of the mind, which this genius taught 2,000 years ago, they'll say, yeah, well, I just want to cancel my fear. Yeah, oh, yeah, I want to cancel that rage. Man, I want to get rid of that, but have no idea how to access and remove 
those energies and just saying I cancel my rage isn't going to change my rage. If, if somebody does a behavior that brings up my rage, I can't just, it, it, the, the way the mind operates, let's, let's use an example. We've talked about this before, but it's a, a good principle to reinforce. And of course, the technology is coming along where this story will no longer be usable. But if I'm sitting in a room where there's a, a furnace and I want the temperature to get colder, I don't say to the furnace, furnace, cool the room. I don't walk over to the furnace and start fiddling with its insides to try to get it to cool the room or the air conditioner or heat the room. What do I do? I go to the control mechanism and I operate the furnace through its control mechanism. So the, the furnace is controlled through indirection and so it is with the mind. And this totally counterintuitive understanding and tool of indirection. That is, you have to indirectly take charge of the device in order to change its content. So in the ancient Aramaic, what was taught was that if I held some form of hostility or fear in me, and that hostility or fear was activated something of a brainwash that was held in tissue, that if I were to look at the goal that I was holding and I were to cancel that goal, then the driver that drives the perceptual system to generate a painful reality, a traumatic reality based in something that happened perhaps decades ago, I get to drop into it, not just see its surface effects, but I get to drop into it. And when I drop into it and bring the purposely, consciously bring the active presence of love, then whatever that trauma is, it begins to dissolve. It begins to weaken in its energetic structure when exposed to love. So the goal is like the thermostat. If I adjust the thermostat, if I change its setting, then I'm in charge of the furnace, the air conditioning system. If I refuse to touch the thermostat, then I'm not going to have much luck at impacting how the furnace and air conditioning system work. If I refuse to enter into the awareness of the thermostat that runs my perceptual system, as our analogy, when I become aware that my mind is run by goals, that every perception, every feeling, every thought in order to come to awareness, has to be brought into awareness, and it's brought into awareness by the setting of a goal. And, you know, sometimes we can have a goal that's stored in the mind from decades ago. A goal is only removed from activity when it's either achieved or canceled. Otherwise, the mind is always seeking to use the content that it has to guide us into getting that goal achieved, even if the goal is no longer even conceivable to achieve. You know, the person we held the goal for, goal for is dead and gone. If I hold a goal in tissue that I have not allowed myself to access, whenever something resonates that goal, 
then that goal being the control mechanism of the mind, if there's unresolved trauma around that goal, then the mind will start to generate its trauma once again. And so the willingness to actually take hold of the control mechanism and do the work of locating the goal that's active. It's, it's a very important piece of the puzzle to be precise about the goal that's driving the pain's perception. And so when I precisely identify the goal that's active, and if it's an unconscious goal, it may take me some practice and some time to get in touch with what's that really all about. And as I let myself get in touch with what's driving this pained construct of my mind, then by canceling the goal, by removing the driver from activity, just like when I turn the thermostat down, the air conditioner kicks in. When I remove the goal, the perceptual system that's showing me a result, which is pained, collapses. And when it collapses, I then have, if you can just imagine this thing imploding, collapsing in on itself, I have access to the underpinnings of what's just collapsed. And when I bring that, which is the underpinning, that is the, the residency of the pain energy, and, you know, when they said to Yeshua, how many times do we have to forgive us? Oh, gee, is seven times enough? And in Aramaic, his response was, no, 77 times 70. He was saying that you may have to cancel that goal many, many, many times. In fact, an infinite number of times. I'm pretty sure if you, uh, if you were back there watching, you know, if those were a dozen disciples standing around and he said 77 times 70, I'm sure they weren't as fishermen going, let's see, seven sevens is 49, carry the four. It's not what they were doing. It wasn't a literal number. He, he was giving them a number beyond their comprehension. And, and in fact, he was saying, you may do an infinite amount of work around this issue until you're done with it. Until you hit the right goal, the right combination of energies, the right level of vitality, the right level of willingness. And, you know, what are all the factors that, that uh, create healing? You know, one of the questions we ask at the opening of each intensive or one of the proposals we offer is here are the factors. And what we're going to do in the intensive is introduce every factor that we possibly can to empower people and you know, in any given circumstance, I don't know what it is that's going to open it. It might be the thing that opens that healing space might be the phone call that somebody makes that, you know, the next phone call that comes in and shares how they got in touch with this by canceling this goal. And bingo, that opens the space for someone to go, oh, that's, that's what I've been looking for. It might be the next bite of vitalizing food that strengthens me to move through the energy. It might be the next time that I have this desire to come up out of a power person dynamic where I want to turn and rage at somebody that I take a breath and instead I soften and I breathe into the rage and I remember, oh, wait a minute, I am the active presence of love. I'm going to choose to take loving action here. I'm going to soften and breathe, breathe into this hostile response. That might be the factor that opens that major issue 
healing and being totally and completely forgiven, removed from the tissue structure, from the genes. And so in the intensives, we bring together, you know, for the last 50 years I've been studying how does this process work, and we bring together every tool that I've been able to find, wherever it comes from, to support people in opening the space to be vital enough, willing enough, and bring together every factor possible to empower healing and and healing being that of the ability to step into process work and processing in this work we define as keeping love conscious, active, and present when something less than love comes up. And of course, sometimes those old energies of pain and trauma are so overwhelming that it's difficult for us to keep love conscious, active, and present. And so that's where a support team comes into play. That's where when you're joining with a whole room full of people who are doing the work, you can go to depths of energy that otherwise would, be, would not be likely that anyone would do on their own. If those deeper energies started to surface for the average person, they'd go back to the good old family feeling, look for direction of how do I keep this hidden, and, well, you know, I think I'll go out and have a scotch. Or, or, or whatever all the, uh, the mechanisms that are used to avoid. Well, you know, let me just eat a little junk food. Give me some ice cream. How about, how about some ice cream? That would be good. How about a candy bar? How about a coffee? How about a little rage? All of those things people habitually find ways to keep from facing and dealing with what's going on within them. In the intensive, we open the space for that dynamic to change, and we introduce, you know, dynamic after dynamic after dynamic to empower people to go to a depth that they normally just wouldn't go to in their own lives, left to their own devices. They're just not going to go there. They can say, I want to, but you can want to till the cows come home, but if your habits keep you at a state of vitality and a state of aliveness that keeps those things hidden, which, you know, until one comes across the possibility that it can actually be healed, most of the world, I mean, you take a look at it. Somebody's in pain over, you know, cancer of the thought, the loss of a loved one. What's the doctor say? Oh, we can take care of that. I've got a pill for you. So now, when denial alone isn't enough to hide an energy that's painful, one can find chemical supports for hiding and locking away what one doesn't want to deal with. And of course the cost of that is extremely absurd. And you look at what are called the side effects. You know, one of the side effects of these drugs that hide depression and pain, take a look at every mass shooting that's happened and they haven't said anything. It's now become, you know, medical privacy, but take a look at every mass shooting that's happened in the last 20 years Every one of them that I've been able to find, and I've done quite a bit of time, spent quite a bit of time looking and researching, there were psychotropic drugs involved. That's one of the side effects, so-called side effects of these things. You know, we need to be taking the drugs away from the drug pushers, not the guns away from the people, if we're going to change that game. So it's just time for us to wake up and realize there's a process to be done and the willingness to go there, the willingness to drop the identities that, uh, that we hold that uh, get us attention or um, accolades or sympathy or what have you, 
and really step into that space of willingness to heal is what we're here to support and assist people in doing. And so we're honored that you're here to hold that space with us, to take these tools and, you know, share them, put them out, make them available to others. All kinds of videos, audios, all sorts of material on the website, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of radio shows where these conversations have gone on and, and open a space for deepening the healing process on planet Earth. And it is definitely time for that dynamic to change. So we're honored, honored that you're here to um, to be part of the process. And let's say hello to Dr. Tim. Is Tim with us today, Jeannie? He is, and he's on. Hello, hello. Well, how are you, sir? Hey, welcome. I'm I'm doing very well, thanks. And I was I had all kinds of different thoughts in your intro, and the one that came up right here at the end when, is when you say now is the time, or it's definitely time. And um, what echoes in my mind is in the Beatitudes with Yeam. It's one of the one of the ways to interpret the first part of the word. Tuvehun is ripe, and ripe meaning now is the perfect moment. And all the way through way of mastery, it keeps coming back to the the phrase, now we begin, emphasizing that now in this moment is the only moment I can actually have access to what I need to change or my awareness of my true nature is love. So... When you say it's definitely time for this to happen, that means now, in this moment. <clears throat> and in this moment, I can focus and dismantle anything that's less than love from my system by applying the tools. If I refuse to apply the tools, I can't do anything about it. But if I apply the tools now, in this moment when I have anger or upset or sadness or fear... I can have an entirely different experience of my life. So that's what was resonating for me as you wrapped up there. Yay. Well, I've seen AM's uh, video on the uh, Beatitudes, and I've heard you mention that particular thought before, but it's never quite struck me the way that it strikes me now in this conversation of the, uh, the, the tying in of the willingness to now is what makes us ripe. And, you know, where otherwise it's a struggle, you know, the ripe fruit just falls from the tree. The healing happens automatically if I create the conditions for healing. And that's the uh, the whole idea of the tools and the work is to create the conditions. So we're ripe. So we're, we're you know, it just naturally falls away. That's a, that's a great uh, a great word to tie into creating the conditions for ripeness. So thank you for that. That's uh that's another nice little uh little gem there. Yeah, it's it's wonderful and of course sometimes when we um show that and then there'll be a, a lecture with Dr. Rice saying uh Tuvehun at the beginning of each beatitude is a three part word meaning a latent neural structure implanted in your brain by the creator that to break off the effects of your errors and thought and guide you to truth and happiness, if you simply ask it to, will be your possession, conscious possession if you do this. And then people will say, well, 
that's not what Yeam says, or that's not what Dale Allen Hoffman says it means. And so the point I'd like to make here just briefly is that when you look at someone who's doing translation work, and Dale Allen Hoffman has done a lot of study, not just the ancient Aramaic, but the Hebrew and the Greek, etc. He has a wonderful facility for language. And from him and from a number of other sources, I've heard things such as there are over 300 different valid ways to interpret the first line of the Bible. So if we don't know what we're talking about, we can say all kinds of things and form all kinds of opinions. But the fact of the matter is, in that the intro to the Beatitudes that Yeam does in his video, he says some wonderful things about the differences between the language we have today and how we assign specific meanings to certain words and the way things were in ancient times where the meaning was carried more in the brain cells of the person who heard the sounds. And if you look at the Hebrew language, each letter had a variety of different meanings. So each letter within a word could take a sentence or three in our language to explain. So it's rich, it's deep, it's packed with potential meaning. And as I have experience, not just discussions about, but as I have experience with different mental and emotional states and my ability to remove what's less than love from my mind-body energy system, I put myself into a receptive space, into an allowing space where I can download a completely different experiential reality in response to someone's word, sentence, paragraph, or lecture. And we have one of our more advanced, uh, and by that I mean mature, um, group members on uh, Tuesday night said several times that even though she has seen that lecture from Yeam several times over the last several years, this time it hit her in a whole different way, and she heard an entirely different level of loving and integrating and softening techniques. So, you know, my offering is if some of the stuff we're saying sounds off or somewhat contradictory or this expert I know says this and it's slightly different than that, I just want to offer the possibility that it may all be true at different levels for different people, and it's okay. As long as it's moving me toward a more loving experience of myself and my surroundings and the beings of light and brilliance that I'm on the planet with, it's all for the better. Well, as you as you say that, Tim, um, you remind me, and I believe it was George Carlin who does a uh, a monologue, and it's it's kind of vulgar, but it's it's an example. You can Google it and find it. Uh, and I'm not going to use the word that he uses, but he talks about you know x number of different ways to use a certain four letter word, and then he goes on for I don't remember how long it was five minutes or twenty minutes, and just one line after another after another after another after another after another after another with all the different shades of the way that particular four letter word has been used. 
Right, and, and a noun and a know, verb and an adverb and an adjective. And, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Again, it's kind of coarse, but uh, but at the same time, it demonstrates a principle. And so, yeah, there are nuances. There are, are uh, facial expressions that change the meaning of a word. You know, if if mom called my name and said, Michael, and there was a certain thing that happened to her throat, I knew I was in trouble. My name meant something. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Whereas a different inflection or a different look in her eyes, and Michael was about to get rewarded, you know? It's like, so there are many nuances to it. And uh, as you say, the important thing is, can we capture a space in which the active presence of love brings healing forward and opens a space for that healing. And the idea of there's one literal interpretation of every word is ludicrous. I mean, it's just silly on its face. But it makes money for people when you turn it into a doctrine or a dogma and you make it has to be this way. So it's just part of the game. Part of the game... Well, Jeannie, do you have anything on your mind today? Um, no, not at the moment. We do have a caller, though. Well, then let's say hello to our caller. Okay. It's area code 207. You're on the air. Hey, Michael. How are you? Shelly. Hey there, young man. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I have a question about um, in the world. Doctor, this might be something for Dr. Tim. I don't know. It's um, in the world of psychology. You have different people that, like, uh, you have bipolar disorder, you have borderline personality disorder, you have narcissists, you have introverts, extroverts, and all that. And and the way it seems like we're applying um, tools of forgiveness are across the board, the same for everything. But some of these people, like, for example, a narcissist or, or somebody with bipolar disorder, they need to be medicated to change their uh, narcissist that can't even be can't even be helped at all. So that's what I'm understanding. But so how do you apply all these techniques to these different types of people and and, and allow that loving spirit in your heart in, in our hearts that we present out to people as being in a loving, caring space? How would you how do you how do you work all of these different personalities into this to make this work? Because everybody has a different apparently in today's society, everybody has a different diagnosis. Well, of course, the word diagnosis is, uh, if you break that one down, agnostic is someone who doesn't know and a diet is two, two who don't know. You know, if I have a, a light in the room, uh, I either turn the light on or I turn the light off. Now, it can be a pink light, a blue light, a red light, a green light, a yellow light, a hundred lights, a thousand lights, two lights, a half a light, you know, it can be, and I turn the light on and I turn the light off. Persona comes from the Greek word, which means mask, and we can make up all kinds of masks, and we can get caught with the diagnosis in the mask and go, oh, well, we'll study this mask, and we'll see what this mask needs, and we'll see if we can fix this mask. It's like, why not realize it's just part of a construct in the mind and forgive it, remove it. So it really doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. It's like absolutely, totally, for me, completely irrelevant. Understanding some of the dynamics of a particular persona might be useful in me 
knowing what questions to ask and how to support somebody getting to dissolving that persona. But it's all about dissolving the persona because the truth of us is all the same. If you hold a newborn, we all started out the same way. Whatever the construct is that we've become identified with our persona and whatever the diagnosis is, you can harden, you can solidify the persona by giving it a diagnosis and getting 100 people to sit around, 100 experts to sit around and go, yeah, he's got the ABC diagnosis. Now you've got 100 minds joining with solidifying. Thank you. I'm not interested in solidifying anybody's diagnosis or persona. I'm interested in penetrating that persona, that mask, that false energy with love, and it just begins to dissolve when we can get to the root of it. So that would be my take. Dr. Tim, your thoughts? Well, in a very similar fashion, what I would add to that is what's happened is what could have been a very useful tool has been taken and misapplied. So what's the useful tool? The useful tool would be a shorthand, some form of a jargon, so that professionals could communicate between them one professional to another, to understand symptom patterns, behavior patterns, not an etiology, not an underlying cause. So, you know, if someone has German measles, you can take a blood test and you can see, oh, here's this thing. And you can say this is different than that from a blood test. With all of the psychological diagnoses or labels, there is nothing that you can do in any kind of a physical, scientific, directly measurable assessment that's constant over time that will tell you, oh, yes, this person is a narcissist, this person is depressed, this person has bipolar, this person has multiple personality disorder. There is no such thing. So what we're talking about is a tool that was intended to be a shorthand for conversations between professionals, which then got co-opted by insurance companies. And then they began to use that tool in an adverse way so that they could either approve or disapprove of third-party payment for a treatment. And then they could start solidifying the labels, and and then this came out into the popular culture and people started saying, oh, this must mean that, and this must mean that. Well, it doesn't mean that. If I say one person is depressed, I could say this person is depressed and five other people are depressed, and if you think you know that person because I gave them the label depression, you're going to be in big trouble as you try to integrate or interact with one person or another because they're people. They aren't just the label. So I don't quite understand your question about how do we use these tools with different people just because they have one label or another. Can you you help me understand what your question is about how you would use these tools with different people? Well, actually, you just you just kind of gave me an enlightenment that really, from what you said being used as a shorthand, really we all have these, we all have all these traits at one time or another throughout our lives, probably. 
Well, take the word probably out of that statement, and I agree with you 100%. So I could go, I could go to you today, and you could tell me, oh, today you're a narcissist, but tomorrow I could be an empath, and the next day I could be bipolar because of whatever's going on in my life that day. Well, Without... I, 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 I wouldn't say that. I would say that I can exhibit behaviors that if I did enough of them, someone could label me a narcissist. But it's just a behavior. And and we all do things that are self-centered, and we all do things that are um, altruistic, and we all do things that are that could be labeled as um, a little bit obsessive. We all have all those traits within us. You're not going to find anything in any backward of a psychiatric unit with some of the most quote disturbed unquote people on the planet. You won't find any particular trait in any of those people that isn't part of everybody's behavior. The difference is, for some people, they've locked in a level of rigidity or an extreme repetition of a certain behavior pattern, which becomes dysfunctional, or they've locked in a pattern of being so loose and flexible without any consistency that their behavior becomes dysfunctional. But they're just behaviors, and the bottom line is we're all the same. So, And another bottom line, I guess, would be is that why this happening to me again is um, if we don't get in touch with our inner child that, that we're, we're being taught to love ourselves as a child, because that's what we are is true love as a child, then we're going to lock these rigidities, rigidities in and become what people or doctors or people or people say about us rather than the active space of love. Is that right? I'd agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the problems with, with obtaining a diagnosis is now you get especially experts. You know, many people don't understand the power of a thought and suggestion. And once labeled by someone in the little white coat one buys that solidifies that energy where they're actually a fluid being moving that you know perhaps moves in and out of certain states that if one joins and locks in that energy then they can tend to become locked in and and because it becomes more difficult to crack open to forgive that energetic dynamic but always to me what I'm looking to do is to stand as a space of love, looking for the space of love of the person that I'm in front of. And if I can support them resonating that sufficiently powerfully, pulling that active presence of love into their own physiology, it just quite literally can blow off those states of mind that otherwise are considered permanent and for, by some people permanent and unchangeable. You know, there's nothing permanent or unchangeable except the fact that you're a human being and you're made of the stuff called love. If your connection to that love is loose, then an hostility or fear or grief or rage or pain moving through your system can take over and run the system. If somebody stands back and goes, oh, you're this, and you go, oh, am I that? Okay. Then that energy that you know might have just been moving through and disappearing like in a nanosecond all of a sudden we lock in on. If you're going to lock in on something for somebody in your life, lock in on you 
functioning as the active presence of love, holding that space in them and resonating that active presence of love in them. When the active presence of love in them is resonated sufficiently, we live in an energetic world of resonance, and that active presence of love comes, what word can I use? Uh, flowing into their physiology powerfully. That's what cracks and removes the, what the world would call the aberrant energies, the energies based in pain. That makes sense? Oh, yes, completely, completely. Oh. Thank you. Completely. So now so let's one, say, one let's of the say, things. No, go ahead. I was going to say one of the things we get into in the, uh, in the laws of living intensive is we, we talk about these states of mind, and one person can resonate the same brain cells in another. So, you know, and, and words are oftentimes the key to how that happens. So a crowd gathers, and somebody shouts fire. That resonates panic, and people die in those panic situations simply because a particular frequency resonated in people's minds panic. Well, if we can focus our words into those energetic patterns that support us expressing as love, then the tendency will be to empower that presence of love more and more in each individual and you know, it's, it's, there was a scene I talked about in uh, one of the uh, vampire movies recently that, to me, was pretty powerful. I don't even remember the name of the movie offhand. Jeannie might, might remember it. We watched it a couple of weeks ago. But there's this particular vampire, and, and you know, they, sh- they want to shoot him with silver bullets because that's what will kill him. And this guy is, like, you know, super vital. And... There, there was a very graphic scene where he gets shot and, you know, the bullet goes in and you see it buried in the skin. And then you see him focus on it. It's a powerful, it's a great vision. Uh, he already brought it down. You, you, you see him focus on it and all of a sudden the tissue starts to move and the bullet is just pushed out of his structure and the tissue heals like king, like that. And I find that to be a really good visual of, you know, whatever the aberrant energy is, if I can focus with love on that, I can literally dissolve that, literally cause that to exit from my energy system and no longer be a factor in my life. Okay, you just said something that has been piquing my curiosity for a while about you say that we can't reach out and make anybody feel anything and nobody can reach out and feel us. Make us feel anything, but you just said that in a, in, a, in an auditorium that's on fire, we can actually spread panic throughout the crowd by our thoughts. Is that what you said? Did I hear that right? Well, we can if if the people in the room have fear and panic in them, then by shouting fire, we can resonate their fear and panic. The person who shouts fire didn't cause the fear and panic. If everybody in the room was in a space of connectedness and safety and self-knowledge and knew who they were and somebody shouted fire, they'd go, oh, dear, let's get up. And, you know, the experts say you, you carefully walk toward the exit. You keep your footing. So, dear, let's get up and, and let's head out of here. There might be a fire. Whereas somebody who lives in terror and trauma and, oh, my God, something's out there to get me and somebody says fire, boom. But the word fire didn't cause it. The word fire resonated it in exactly the same way. I can't cause the loving you 
it is only the presence of love in you that can be active for you. But if I stand in that space and I choose to hold that space for you, then I can reinforce what's there. You know, the empath oftentimes runs around wanting to say, oh, I feel everybody else's feelings. And that's just a total fraud. That's a way of avoiding responsibility. If I'm feeling it, it's because the energy's in me. Yes, the person who's got that thing going on can certainly resonate that in me, but strictly speaking, I can't feel theirs. You know, if I've got a, if I, and, and it, you know, I, I think my, I talked the other day about my uh, electronics teacher way back in high school and the appreciation I had for him. I, I appreciate the fact that he taught me so deeply about resonance. And, you know, a, a good example is if I've got an FM radio or an AM radio and I'm listening, let's say to 900 on the AM dial and, you know, the signal's, you know, not so great but I've got a $100,000 FM stereo system, I can say and want all that I, can, I desire to. I want to listen to that AM station on my $100,000 FM stereo, and I can't listen to it because there is not a tuning mechanism to receive 900 on the AM dial in my FM tuner. It just isn't there. My FM system, no matter how fabulous it is, can't receive that frequency there's no tuner for it. I can't receive a frequency from someone else unless I've got a tuner for it. And I'll only feel the effects of the energy that's mine that's moving in me. And someone else can certainly stimulate it, but strictly speaking, I'm not feeling theirs. So even as complicated as, and, and, and as, as complex as the human brain and the human body is with the with the skeletal system like you say and being an antenna to receive who's to say that we can't actually send out signals through the same thing and receive signals because there's there's scientific proof that empaths can feel other people's stuff because i think i know an empath no no i'm sorry but the scientific proof isn't there my offering is the scientific proof isn't there okay there's no such thing you know if if 900 on the AM dial, let's say, is broadcasting, you know, there's a, that song Madness that we've played often. You know, the madness in me lives on when you're not in the room. You know, in the presence of you, it comes up, but the madness in me lives on when you're not in the room. So let's imagine that that 900 AM signal is broadcasting the song Madness. Well, here I am, 100 miles away from the station, and I'm listening to the song Madness. Why am I listening to the song Madness? Because I've got a tuning mechanism that receives that frequency. If I don't have a tuning mechanism that receives that frequency, I can't hear that song. If they stop Hmm. broadcasting it, I can't keep listening to it. So there is definitely an interaction, but you've got to recognize that the, the place where each individual has control is in their own energy system. If I have a tuning mechanism for fear, rage, you know, all the things the empath says they've got, they're, they're feeling from somebody else, then if there's somebody around me that's feeling that way, because of the law of resonance, there's an energy exchange, and that will tend to move in me. And my offering is if I stop my denial and stop pretending I'm feeling their feelings, then I can recognize, ooh, you know, I'm around this person who's really angry and, gee, I'm feeling their anger. Whoops, no, that's denial. I can only feel my own. So 
that person's in anger, and boy, it sure is resonating and moving some anger in me. So I think I'll go in and forgive this anger, and once I've removed forgiving it, then I can be around the angry person forever, and I'm not going to feel any anger because it's not in me any longer. So that would be my offering in that case. Tim, do you have any thoughts? Well, I think one of the the catching points for people is definition of the word, like we were talking earlier. And so some people say, you know, there are empaths, and other people say, no, there aren't empaths because you can't feel anybody else's. And if you don't get too hung up on the word, I think most people can agree that some people are born far more sensitive emotionally, far more open energetically. We may all have that same capacity to be sensitive emotionally and open energetically, but we we don't all start that way. So there are clearly people who are far more sensitive emotionally than others. And as people who I have had really good experience with, like Matt Kahn is a, is a person I've talked about before in his book, Whatever Arises, Love That. When they talk about being an empath or being very, very sensitive, their solution isn't to go change other people so I don't have to feel what I'm feeling. Their solution is to learn to deal with what I'm feeling inside of me. And so the actual mechanism that they're talking about, most of the people that are solid in in, in the work they're teaching people and helping them if they've been labeled as an empath, is very compatible with what Dr. Rice is talking about because the focus is, if I'm feeling it, what do I need to do inside myself to feel better, to allow it to flow through me rather than try and blame it on somebody else or to dismantle it from inside myself rather than trying to get somebody else to change. So you know, my take on it is that it's all about the semantics and the words and what actually happens with us as human beings is a universal thing. There are laws about how the mind and body energy system work together and if you've been introduced to them and you have the tools apply them and see what results you get. That's my take. Yeah, there's a, uh, a, a term in our culture that says, you know, uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve. And that's a term to me that means someone who is emotionally sensitive. And from an energetic perspective, the person who comes in to the world, you know, with their heart on their sleeve, that's sensitive Uh, is a person who's probably got a genetic history and or past that has pains that match some of the pains of the world. And so they're more easily moved to that energy resonating in them than the average person. And as Tim says, the solution is always to go inside and remove the energy, manage the energy inside myself uh, and and strengthen. It's kind of a, a twofold thing. And one part of it is the forgiveness of the weakening of what doesn't belong. And then the other part of it is the strengthening and the empowering of what does belong, the state of, of human beingness. So we can truly live as human beings, whatever's going on in our environment. And when something in our environment triggers us into 
uh, an energy that I would say is one I'd rather not be engaging in, then I jump on the forgiveness process and I remove my capacity to engage in that energy and I'm freed of it. Well, I've got one more thing. Shelly? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, perfect. Just, I'd like to say one more thing, and I'll be done with you guys. Maybe somebody else has some time. Right, but go for it. When I, when I came into this, this program with you, with a um, – Right. Somebody I consider to be a, still to be a very dear friend that, that – um, The. Um, Are you breathing? I'll take care of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm breathing. Yeah, I'm breathing. Um, when I came into this program – I've been seeing psychologists and psychiatrists for a long time, and my psychologist has always said, don't go see the psychiatrist. We can work this through for you without – they're going to medicate you. They're going to do this. And since I've come into this, why again? Why, why is this happening to me again? I have um, I've seen psychiatrists. I've seen psychologists. I'm part of the VA, and they have actually I'm, – I'm, I'm totally amazed. I'm I, – I, I hate to give all the credit to whyagain.com, but before I, before I came into this program with Michael, I had so many labels put on me. And since I've come into this program and gotten my energy correct and right and, and flowing with the true passion of love, that's a breathe there. Yeah, the labels start disappearing. <laughs> every, label, every, label, every label has disappeared. I'm just a normal human, and they don't even want to see me anymore. The doctors don't want to see me. The psychiatrists don't want to see me. The psychologists, they said, you're wasting our time. Quit coming. You don't. They took the meds away. They I said, you should. We, I'm, I'm, I mean, it really, it really makes, you, it makes you cry to think about what, you know, all the crap I went through for 15 Gee. years with all these diagnoses and all the relationships that ruined and all the things that, that was happening in my life because I was, it was so simple and so easy to. Uh, I hear you. Okay, I'm on the important call. If you have to find me later. I'm on the important call, buddy. I'll, I'll take care of you in a minute. All right. All right, buddy. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I, I have to. I mean, before this program, and and I have so many people to thank for bringing me into this. I have Gail to thank. I have Julie. Haverstick to think. I have Mike. I have Jeannie. I even Dr. Tillman. I've never met you, but I even thank you because of the words of wisdom you put off through the show. It's amazing, and I want to thank all of y'all. Yay. That's all I got to say. Well, we're here to support you and uh, honored and delighted, and yes, we see diagnosis disappear very regularly. Again, every diagnosis is based in energy, and as Tim says, it's, it's useful to have as an observation as long as it's not solidified and you know, the best diagnosis I have for anybody is you're human. Let's strengthen your human beingness. Let's show you the tools with which to throw off what isn't human, and let's get on with the game of life. So, I thought for a yeah. minute there, Shelley, that you might be having some tears come up at these psychologists who are now rejecting you. They don't want you back in their office. No, just kidding. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean, you know, I had I'm one psychologist. Kidding. I had one psychologist that I was seeing for seven or eight years, and um, I went in for a, for an event that happened in my life. I would go to him every year, a couple of days. I showed up one day, and he wasn't there, and that was really the, a big part of the catalyst that started me down the road that I had to go down that was probably the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. But I got through it, and now everything is beautiful. Even though, it's, even though I, do, I do have to deal with some negative energy that I feel is coming at me that I wish wasn't, that too will pass in time. That too. And you just, you know, you put one foot in front of the other and you do your work. And as you become more vital, you get to clear out deeper layers and deeper layers and deeper layers until 
whatever it is you're finished with it. And uh, I, I acknowledge the uh, commitment you've had to your work. And one of the things I really acknowledge about you, Shelley, uh, you know, with some of the uh, history that you've shared with me and the intensity of uh, emotion of rage and such, just from day one, to watch you be in that, and you probably of all the people I've ever worked with, one of the fastest at getting into willings and saying, okay, give me some feedback. That's something I really acknowledge about you, that that you've been able to just put that on hold for the moment and hear new input, then receive the new input and act on it. And that's why you're being freed of your diagnosis, is you're acting on it. You're doing the work. So delighted to be on the team. Thank you. Difficult sometimes, but thank you. I, it's, it's difficult, you. no question. That's why most people don't do it. You know, the Greeks, you know, the kind of one of the end results of their whole philosophy was don't ever open Pandora's box because you never know what you're going to find in there. It's going to be too tough and too painful to deal with it. You know, unfortunately, they didn't tell us that our whole lives would become Pandora's box if we didn't ever open it. But, yeah, it's safe to open Pandora's box. It's uh, nice to have the tools and the support to go into it and clean out the garbage. Yeah, Pandora's a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, thank you. Absolutely. Kind of like the movie Avatar. Yeah. Pandora. <laughs> yeah. Thank All you. right, sir. Well, we hold you in a blessing. Glad to hear your voice and glad to hear things are moving through. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. All right. I'll leave you be Take now. Care. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Blessings. Bye bye. All right. Well, we're down to about two minutes. So, Dr. Tim, any any closing thoughts? Did we lose Dr. Tim Dini, or is he mute challenged? Jeannie, are you there? Are you mute challenged? Hello, is anybody out? I hope I'm not talking to myself. Well, everything's gone quiet from my end. But I'm going to assume we're still on the air, so we've got about two minutes left. So I'll just um, say that I'm delighted and honored that you're here and share this space with us. And I hope that you're inspired to pick up the tools, that you're put them to work, to share them with others. You know, there's one of the most rewarding things in the world, and what Shelley was talking about, you know, Julie is uh, Haverstick at Heartland, has volunteered and been working with people, and uh, and she'd done some work with Shelley and several other people. And just the, uh, the reward that comes from being with someone and just walking them through the worksheet, even if you're not an expert at it, you know, it's pretty simple step by step, you know, the mind can look at it and it can come up with confusion, but the confusion will be from the mind, not from the worksheet. Every step is very, very simple. You can just walk through it step by step by step. And it's still, after 35 years of doing it, it still amazes me when someone cancels that driver, that goal, and collapses their pain perception, whatever diagnosis you would give, that pained quality of perception collapses it and with love drops into the underlying part of the mind it always amazes me what people find in there and you can do that for others you don't have to be an expert 
You don't have to be a professional. You just have to be a human being. And it's an absolutely awesome gift to give the world. If you're ready to take your work to the next level, we've uh, we put a date on it. The, uh, the end of the month, the 30th of the month, uh, our um, 15 DVD special will expire. So if you're ready to do an intensive and you register before at the end of the month, you will get a free set of 15 DVDs and we'll encourage you to take those DVDs and really work with them uh, between now and the intensive and that will help build the brain cells to make the intensive that much more meaningful. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.why. A-G-A-I-N dot org. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.